0: Today's episode is sponsored by The Beauty Boost. Do you find making friends as an adult to be hard? Are you looking for a wellness-focused group to do life alongside? Well, I might have the perfect answer for you. The Beauty Boost is a community designed to help women feel empowered, healthy, and beautiful. They do this through a series of signature events including fitness events, empowerment workshops, socials, and retreats. They are now in 30 cities nationwide from California to Florida, including my town right here in Cincinnati. I was looking for a community of women that I could connect with in regards to wellness and business, and I definitely got that with the Beauty Boost. I have been fortunate to have made significant connections with people I have met while going to networking events and workshops, and I recommend to anyone looking to grow their support network to check out this company and to see if there's a Beauty Boost near you. You can simply grab a one-off ticket to an event that catches your eye, or you can go all in, like me, for just $99 for an entire year of events. So if making friends, joining a community, and focusing on your own well-being made your list of goals for this year, be sure to check out The Beauty Boost. You can find them at thebeautyboost.net or go to Instagram and type in at thebeautyboost. Put your city name in there. For example, mine is at the Beauty Boost Cincy.
1: This whole book is is kind of set up to with that concept in mind that mm. you know, it's contagious when we have self-energy and it helps people's parts relax and then they can be more in touch with their own system and yeah. they can hopefully spread that.
0: Hello, Seth. Hello. Thank you so much for joining me today. I know we were just chatting and kind of getting to know each other. And uh, we're not too far away from each other geographically. You're in Michigan.
1: Yep. Ann Arbor, Michigan.
0: Ann Arbor, Michigan. Yeah. And I was just telling you that I love Ann Arbor. It's a very cool place. I love the energy. I'm I'm a fan of university towns.
1: Yeah, I was going to say, I actually made a little bit of an oath to myself years ago to always live in a college town. Oh, okay. Just the young energy and culture. And usually there's international restaurants, mm-hmm. people from all over the world to learn from and be friends with. And
0: Oh, yeah. I-, I love it too. And I used to work for a university. I worked for 10 years as a therapist at a counseling center at a university and lived in Lexington, Kentucky, where University of Kentucky is and lived mm-hmm. there for almost 20 years. I loved it. It was just Lexington. Oh, really?
1: Yeah. I used to work with Head Start and I would travel to Lexington for work. Yes. Yeah. It's a good little town.
0: Yeah, it really is. But it's like what you described just, you know, a little bit ago of with, you know, when you are in an area of of a university, there's just so much stuff that is so cool. Just all the different people, cultures, Mm -hmm. offerings. I find that there's really nice restaurants which parts Mm -hmm. of me who love food really appreciate the 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 restaurant fair and lots of art i find that there's lots of different
1: lots of art culture even yeah mindedness which i really appreciate like just questioning things and people Mm -hmm. ideas and innovation and i really like that to have differing opinions
0: (laughs) yeah oh yeah yeah, I I really appreciate that that too, and it was hard for for me to move away from Lexington. Now we're in the northern Kentucky by Cincinnati area, which you know there's a number of different universities that are here, but mm-hmm. it it's it's a different feeling because I think I feel like there's like so many, and they're all kind of mm-hmm. there's not like a collective feel that I feel like you get with like Ann Arbor and mm-hmm. Lexington. You know, places like that where it's kind of like more of a community feel.
1: Mm. And I with... like how I usually have a little downtown, which is nice. I've yeah. lived in places where there's no downtown. It feels like it's like missing a heart of the town. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. The, with Northern Kentucky, there's lots of little mini cities everywhere. Mm-hmm. So it's like there's Newport, Covington, Bellevue, Fort Thomas, mm-hmm. and then Cincinnati. And, you know, and there's just like. There's so many all congested within a close proximity and yeah, it just has a different feel. Yeah. But yeah, I love Ann Arbor and what brings us together today is you wrote a book. Yeah. Called self led living a connected life with yourself and with others an application of internal family systems. Yeah. It's a, it's a beautiful book. I was, I'm always excited, parts of me that like love IFS gets really excited when I see postings like on social media and stuff of people who have written a new book mm. that involves IFS and mm-hmm. I'm I'm just like, ooh, okay, yeah. yeah, let's dive into it. And so I I'm excited to Thank talk you. to you about what you have gifted in this book called Self-Led.
1: Thank you so much. I really appreciate you having me.
0: I know that obviously you're involved in the IFS community. And so when I know that about someone, I like to ask them this question about Mm -hmm. how did you get introduced to IFS? Mm -hmm. And so do you care to share that story?
1: So I guess it would be back in 2009, 2000, must have been 2009 when I first heard of IFS. I was actually going to therapy myself. I was in the middle of a divorce. And um, I was really struggling once I the the realization of the, the most I would ever see my kids would be every other week. It brought a lot of feelings and anxiety for me because I was a really active parent from mm-hmm. the bed every night. So I felt like I was just like losing half of their life at the time. Yeah. And um, so while I was working with a particular therapist, he said he, he just started learning about IFS and recommended... Um, the introduction to IFS book uh, by Dick Schwartz. And so I bought the book and I think I started it right before I was going on one of my trips. Cause I would travel every other week with Head Start into different towns to work with migrant seasonal Head Start programs. And I, I got on the airplane and I, was, I think I just started the book and I think I just poured through the book mm. on one particular flight and Very quickly, I started realizing that my the anxiety I was feeling was a part, and it means all of me wasn't anxious. Mm
2: -hmm. And
1: that little understanding shifted my whole awareness, and it shifted like how my body felt. I just remember feeling more spacious, and what I didn't know was happening. I was I was unblending, and I was like, "Wow, that means you know." And I have an early childhood background, so even hearing about parts being young. I was like, well, I know how to care for young children. That's my specialty. I teach people how to care for young children. So I could just apply what I know to my parts. Mm. Um, And I didn't really get to know my parts so specifically at that moment. But just with that concept, I think there was an ease. And then shortly, I think within a few months, um, because I was working with Head Start and I was like a national consultant, we had professional development money. And I think it was like getting around September. October and we had to spend the money before the end of the year and I hadn't spent any yet.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: I said, Well, I wonder if this IFS thing has a conference. And lo and behold, I look it up. Two weeks later, there was a conference in Chicago, which was the annual conference. Yeah. I got in and and it was kind of like a magical experience, almost like the universe was saying, This is for you. Even down to I hired a shuttle to take me from the airport to the hotel. And the guy pulls up in this stretched limo, which isn't really, it, I don't really need a limo or anything. But I was like, wait, what's happening here? And he's like, well, I'm so sorry. I have a limo service and a shuttle service. Is it okay? I didn't have time to go home and get my shuttle. Do you mind if I pick you up in the limo? And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I get back and there's like Led Zeppelin playing and all these nice. cool I'm just like, wow, this is so serendipitous.
0: You're like, I'm in the right place. Yeah, it just felt
1: like a green light yeah and then at the conference, I was in a session where we uh we were like role playing parts like some people had to play managers, some people had to play firefighters, some people had to play exiles, and we needed somebody to play self and I don't remember why, but I raised my hand
2: mm. to play
1: self and I just i do a lot of I've already taught people about attunement and attachment parenting and I, so as part as people would come to me and play out their role, and I would have to be self in the moment. I would just do that and it felt very natural. And in the middle of it, Dick Schwartz walked into the room. And I remember actually thinking, Oh my gosh, Yoda's here. Like (laughs) the pastor. (laughs) And then he came over and just sat on the floor right in front of me. And he blended with a part and and it was a young part. And Mm -hmm. I I didn't like I just kept reflecting back and reflecting back. And then at one moment I wasn't sure what to do. I just said, Do you need a hug? And he Mm -hmm. just kind of nodded and then all the everyone in the room all the parts got in line and i gave each part like a hug and i think something opened in my system in that moment That was like this is really something yeah and then i went back and switched therapists to one that was more experienced in ifs and then shortly thereafter she suggested that i take the training and because of my background and education and working with children and parents and right and I have a Montessori background where I used to be a Montessori teacher. So yeah. it all kind of converged. And I was doing organization management work as well. But like my research was around how do you create safe places and organizations for people to have voice, which means you have to feel safe enough to share your ideas, which means mm-hmm. parts have to feel safe. So when I took the training, it just felt very natural. And it felt like I was able to bring a lot of my past experiences to the model.
0: yeah. That's what I find interesting too, is when I hear people share their story of how they got introduced to IFS and if they were obviously, obviously they were doing like, just like you, you were doing something before you knew about IFS and I'm always curious to hear, do you feel like that was a natural, I guess, transition molding together of the things that you were doing before and then knowing Mm. about it
1: yeah it's completely um because i especially what i realize now is my passion was on how to attune and especially to infants and toddlers was one of my specialties as well which you know for me sometimes i'd have parts that like thinks you know as a man that seems like Mm. not too many men do this and for me it feels very natural it feels like this is Mm. me so a lot of times i'd be the only male in these settings and I was always really drawn to how do you help infants and toddlers feel seen and, and feel and be able to build attachments and responsive caregiving. So as soon as I started connecting with my parts and with people's parts, helping people be with their parts, it felt like such a natural transition. Like this is what I do. If I help people. I've already been training people. How do you attune to little right. ones? And, and knowing about child development really helps because when a five-year-old shows up, even though in the realm of our internal world, sometimes five-year-olds have greater knowledge than a typical five-year-old might have. Mm-hmm. But there are some developmental things that are helpful to help clients or help myself know, like this is what a five-year-old typically would want, typically would need. It doesn't want to run your life and <laughs> you manager, right? You know, it <laughs> wants to play, and this is how they like to play, and this is how we can support them. And I think this creating safety in organizations with my PhD research really helps with working with clients and just how do we create a safe environment so people's parts can relax and they can have enough self energy to be with their parts. Because for me, like we call it a climate of safety in organizations. How do we create a climate of safety in working with people, working with parents? Right. So people's parts can relax enough that people can actually have so- enough self to be with their parts. Yeah. So it all kind of converged really well for me.
0: Yeah, I can definitely, I can see that and I can hear that as you're describing that. And, you know, I, I do think it's interesting that when you went to the conference and you were in that seminar in particular and role-playing that you kind of naturally maybe just raised your hand to represent self because it sounds like you were already, maybe you didn't have the word for that in particular of self, but yeah. it sounds like in the midst of your work, that you were doing already with the people that you were working with in terms of the little ones and Mm -hmm. parents and organizations that you were already, you were already an example of what in IFS we call being self-led or self-energy.
1: Yeah. And I think raising my own kids really helped with that. I I was just, as you were saying, I was imagining helping my daughter sleep every night Mm. after she would usually nurse. And then I would help. You know, I would take her to another room and play music and help her kind of go to sleep. And I noticed if I had agitation in my body that she would stay awake. And if Mm. I could get myself calm and spacious, like the more like kind of dreamy, open, spacious I could make myself, then she would settle down. Yeah. I didn't really know what that was at the time. Right. And another thing that you're saying is really interesting when I do my own work, what's really clear to me is like Dick says, you know, well, you know, if you have multiple kids in a household, why do some people get more trauma than others mm-hmm. or or have more effect on their parts and something he used to say I'm not sure if he still says it as much but like it depends on how much self energy you can hold in those moments you know depending on how much your protectors take over and how much you fall into mm-hmm. your exiles and when i when i'm with my parts i often see that like in my bedroom was like a sanctuary of self-energy. So I would be in my room and I would be creative and I remember dancing and Mm. I would like draw, I would play music. And even in my, as I'm doing my work, I would open my bedroom door and I would sense all the, like, what feels like dark energy or just like stuff coming out of my mom's room. And so it's like, as long as I was with myself, I had a ton of self-energy, but then the lack of attunement and connection that came into my space is why I have my, my burdens, my exhaust. Right. But I, I think I've always somehow knew that one could have their own self energy. That's so beautiful. As a, as a young child. So I think I just got lucky. I don't know how it happened, but.
0: <laughs> that's great. <laughs> no, yeah. that's so, it's, I, that's beautiful to hear you kind of, you know, share that experience and that memory and to feel that safety in your room and to dance and to feel that connection to that creativity and, and all of that is it's so beautiful and I feel like, you know, I have a, a four-year-old son and it's just so much fun to be able to witness him in those moments where he's just like, <laughs> sometimes his eyes are closed and he's mm-hmm. just like feeling it, whatever it is, whether yeah, it's,
2: it's music
0: playing or he's just playing with his toys and he's like, I can just see like his creative juices are flowing and yeah. uh, and, and just that natural energy that we have within us as as children but also obviously as we keep living in this human body we have access to that or it's there it's just like what you were saying just now sometimes it's of course over the course of our living Mm -hmm. our life relationships situations that 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 not that ability to be aware of that self energy is covered up or blocked sometimes
1: yeah, and often those aspects of self are it, it literally exiled, like we exile, right. our activity, we exile our tenderness, we exile our how we like to flourish, we exile our exuberance.
0: Yeah, the one thing that has always stood out to me, and I think it was Dick that I heard say this was, it's not, how did he say that? And I always feel like I butcher this when I try to say it, but I'll try to get the point across. Basically, he said, he said something like, it's how a lot of the time externally other people are reacting to either mm-hmm. our parts or our dimensions of self energy that that then cause wounds
1: yes i would agree with that yeah
0: but yeah like if you i think about as a child if you're jumping around feeling good being mm-hmm. playful being mm-hmm. silly but that's activating a part within let's say one of the caregivers around in that moment that then is like oh no we don't act like that for whatever reason from their past so they shame that Mm -hmm. that self-energy within the kid then like you said that can then maybe get exiled so that they're like well it's not safe for me to be accessing that playfulness
1: okay and it really aligns with and i mentioned this in the book eric Erickson's stages of psychosocial development that like in the first few years that we develop trust or mistrust of the world like are my needs met are my needs are met mm-hmm. i can trust and then we start becoming autonomous like start doing things and if we're told no like don't touch those things don't do those things you're bad so we could either gain autonomy or we can gain like feeling like we're bad or we're feeling shame or we could feel guilt you know where when we try to take initiative you know, so mm-hmm. how we're supported or not supported and definitely like we're, we're giving these messages, right? Mm-hmm. And I think what's really common is that young children don't have the cognitive ability to say, well, mom's must be having a really bad day. I know she's struggling at work. So this has nothing to do with me. This is just right. the, the only th- they're such concrete thinkers that I do something, mom or dad gets angry or mom or mom or dad or dad. And It means I'm bad. It means Mm -hmm. I'm doing something. And then those burdens kind of just with repetition enough, especially in no repair. Right. um, They build up and they become part of our belief system.
0: Yeah. I know for me, like once I started coming to understand IFS, all of this stuff started to make more sense. Mm -hmm. And in terms of just being able to look at ourselves, being able to look at other situations with other people when we can see it in this organizing way of mm-hmm. hearts and then self, I feel like it it helped bring me more access to clarity and understanding of being able to yeah connect with me and to connect with my clients, the people that I was working with, yeah, so yeah, I know uh, there's we can
1: go on forever we could it? go on forever about <laughs> talking yeah. about that
0: kind of stuff. And so I am curious to know what was your inspiration what was your intention of writing your book Self-Led.
1: Yeah. Well, I think on a large scale, you know, I believe that IFS can really create peace in the world and help the world heal, help people in the world heal. So I think the the more people learn about IFS, the better our our planet will be. And what I the purpose of my book Isn't so much how to help people do IFS therapy on themselves. It's more like, what do I do with my parts on the fly? Like, while I'm living in these various aspects of my life, while I'm parenting, while I'm at work, Mm
2: -hmm. while I'm in
1: my relationship, intimate relationships, while I'm engaged in spirituality, our parts are interacting. So, how do I do, how do I be with them on the fly so that I can have as much self energy and connection with other people and less disruption in my life, less heart creating harm to others in different places. And I, so I want people really, it's like giving them tools, what to do outside of therapy as well. And I, when I look at the comments, like on Amazon reviews so far, there's, there's a bunch of people who, who claim, who say this book is a great book for like beginners or a primer. And I think that's really true that it is like, if you've never heard of IFS, like mm-hmm. some of my readers, I had had no experience with IFS and they they were able to really grasp it. And I think it is really for advanced IFSers because I think a lot of us do really well in our own sessions with our parts. But I think taking it to like, how do I live with my parts in a conscious way is mm-hmm. a really high level of skill. In practice. Yeah. I feel like it's like an instrument or a sport. Like we have to really keep doing it and practicing it so that I really know I'm blended while I'm doing something that might be creating harm mm-hmm. with my family, my kids, my coworkers. And so really this book is really, and I guess in a way it is my goal to help create a more peaceful world through people just simply being aware of what's happening inside and how do I unblend it in the moment.
2: Yeah.
0: And that's a, that's very beautiful. And It's like on one hand, that sounds like a, like a huge thing of like, let's bring peacefulness. And at the same time, it it is something though that is realistic because again, I feel like in my own personal experiences with doing parts work and all of that within myself, kind of like what you described in that first experience of you reading Dick's book on the plane and you realize like you're not just all anxiety.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's a part of you that is anxious, but mm-hmm. it's not all of you. And I feel like when we can have that unblending and that spaciousness within while still being with whatever part that is, that can completely shift the dynamics within yourself. But also, especially when you're interacting with other people.
1: Right.
0: So that you're not just in this place of reactivity. hmm or shut down, you know, that it's okay, I can bring awareness to the this part and and at the same time have that spaciousness there where there's more, like we would say, self-led
2: mm-hmm. and,
0: and calmness, groundedness, clarity, yeah. all of that. So I, I appreciate your mm-hmm. your vision with this.
1: Thank you. And I think really the book, if I boiled it down to like the essence it's really building off this idea that parts beget parts and self beget self that if i can be with my parts i'm going to be less defensive i'm going to be less reactive stonewalling all these things that you just mentioned which means i'm not activating other people's parts right as much so they have their own system i can't like guarantee someone will be self-led if i'm self-led but there's much more likelihood that their protectors are not going to get activated by interacting with me. So then when they turn to the next person, they're not walking in with this blend as blended as they might've been.
2: Mm
1: -hmm. I really feel like this whole book is, is kind of set up to with that concept in mind that Mm. it's contagious when we have self energy and it helps people's parts relax and then they can be more in touch with their own system and they can hopefully spread that. And before we move on, one thing I do want to say is I want to give credit to my, my wife, Catherine, who, did, she did the graphic design for the book, um, so she laid out all the well, the, the words, which is called the copy in technical terms,
2: mm-hmm.
1: and she painted the cover um, with watercolor and then brought it into a computer and enhanced it and drew the dragonfly, but my whole vision was please make it as spacious and as possible like the words Mm -hmm. so she she was really careful like how the words are on the page how much space is between the words how much space is between even each letter like all that is controlled through um, graphic design so i'm hoping the reader actually has like a spacious experience while they read the book Mm. because i know for me when i read a book that has tiny letters crammed and it's like too much packed in there and My parts get activated because I'm like this is challenging for me to read, and I have to literally like work through that to get to the material. Yeah, so the book was designed to be as spacious enough to hopefully help with bringing self energy as you're reading the book.
0: I love that, and I'm very I'm very visual, and is sensitive to external qualities around me such as colors and lights and details like that. So, yeah, to hear you say that that was intentional, I think parts of me that are like, oh, that's so nice. <laughs> Thank you for taking that into consideration. Yeah. And, you know, I'm looking down at your at your book right now. And, yeah, that was something that I had a, a question in the back of my mind for you was the picture on the cover with the dragonfly and the colors and uh, that it felt on purpose
1: yeah the the color is how i how i and a lot of my clients see the color of self energy like this golden light
2: mm-hmm.
1: And the dragonfly actually showed up while i was writing the book and it, i felt like a guide that it was mm-hmm. actually out actually outside and it stayed there for quite a long time and i felt like it was giving me messages and i felt like oh this really needs to be part of the book
2: that's amazing and my
1: wife really came up with this idea of it kind of flowing into this light enlightened space where it's like almost like just light in the center where it's and even the the cover I meant I chose a matte finish so it feels soft and like velvety
0: yeah I'm feeling that right now <laughs> I'm running my fingers over it right now yeah and you're right it does it has like that yeah that velvety finish
1: and you know, I was an English major I was going to be a high school English teacher originally mm. part of my studies was really about What does it mean to experience the world through writing and reading? And my program was so much around like reader response theory, which means once the reader has the book, it's really their experience. And so I was really thinking about the reader Mm
2: -hmm. as I'm
1: writing the book. Like, how are you going to experience this? I know you get to make it your own. I don't own it anymore. Once you read it, you get to create your own experience. But I really wanted it to be something that was pleasurable and sensorial. And, and and to feel held while you're reading the book.
0: Yeah. And, and again, I, I appreciate that. And, you know, you mentioning when you've read other books where the words are super tiny and it all feels very crammed together on the page that also for parts of me can get overwhelmed and just kind of overtaken with
1: mm-hmm. the
0: information and can sometimes then just put it down and sometimes not even pick yeah. it up again. Yeah. And so I think, You know, it makes sense that you took all this into account, especially given, Mm -hmm. you you know, that you're writing about self and (laughs) being Mm -hmm. with parts with spaciousness and and all of that. So, yeah, it, it all makes sense to me. And it's beautiful. Thank you. So you write about in the book four specific Areas in regards to being self led. You talk about being self led in relationships, at work, parenting, and
1: spirituality. And I am, I'm really curious, why did you pick those four? For me, when I try to boil down like what our life experiences are, it feels like those are the main areas. So for relationships, I focus mainly on intimate relationships, like having a partner. And then we all have a job, or, or if we don't have a job, we're home with a oftentimes with our kids so like parenting at work and our spirituality mm-hmm. to me felt like it covered all the bases of like ones to various aspects of people's lives so it feels a little bit practical that way mm-hmm. um and i feel like i have like I've, I've studied in my own life and in academically all those areas i think intimate relationships is probably the least that i've formally studied i like i'm, I'm ifio trained in mm-hmm. uh, intimacy from the inside out but you know, like parenting and at work and spirituality has been a personal journey that I've always been interested in. So for me, it just feels like it covers all the bases.
0: Yeah, I, I agree. And I was also wondering, yeah, as you were just sharing that, a part of me in the back was kind of like, oh yeah, but, and it made sense what you just said in regards to, you were already focusing on those areas as well.
1: Yeah. Those are in areas. your work. Exactly. like uh, Formally yeah. studied or personally, but
0: yeah. And so do you care if we dive in a little bit more in regards to each of those four? Great.
1: That would be great.
0: Okay. So you go into self-led relationships Mm -hmm. and I guess kind of a a question, and this is a question I feel like asking for each of those four from you is, you know, how can we have, what is a self-led relationship? What does that even mean?
1: Mm, Yeah. Well, so in general, I would say, you know, while I'm interacting with people, so in this case, an intimate relationship partner or with our kids or at work, you know, there's never going to be a chance, time when we're not blended up at some point. Like none of us probably will in our lifetime will ever get to a place where we don't get blended by parts. That's just not, right. it's not possible. But at least we were aware that we are or that we were, right? So when we're self led, there's a leader inside me self in this case for me and and either in the moment i might pause and notice wow there's a lot of intensity here i'm i'm maybe badgering this person at work or or really going out like criticizing my partner or my children Mm -hmm. let me pause and wait while i feel this energy i'm going to ask that part if it be willing to hang back and maybe i'll listen to it like what does it really need? and i have this practice where i'll say to my parts could you give me just enough space so I'm here too?
2: Mm.
1: I don't like kicking parts out. Like I'm not saying go to another room or go to another place. I'm like, just let me be here as well and quickly debrief with me what you need. It's like okay. And maybe even who are you protecting if you get that if you're that advanced. But then I can say, okay, is it okay if I handle this? And then I will interact with the person. And then you might even turn to your part and go, How did I do?
2: Mm.
1: And that creates, we're building a relationship in those moments. Like, I am looking out for your interests. I'm not just kicking you out, saying parts bad, me good, right? I'm saying what you need is important. And oftentimes our parts, what they want is the person in front of us to treat us kindly and lovingly or for our kids to be able to listen and do what they're supposed to do and people at work to take us seriously. And I usually say to my parts, I can help with that. And mm. did you just get what you wanted by me doing it? And then they, they're they like, yeah, thank you. Okay, I don't have to work so hard. Yeah. So I think being self-led in these places means there's there's enough self-energy for us to notice when we're blended, when we're not, which gives us a ability to choose how to respond in moments instead of react.
2: Mm-hmm. So there's
1: like a gap. Um, right. Like something happens, I'm able to process and I'm going to choose how am I going to respond here?
0: Yeah. I love what you just said about asking the part after the fact, how did I do? I love that.
1: I just kind of came up with one day, especially with parenting, because my kids are like, I really want my son to do this X, Y, and Z. And I want him to treat me with respect. And I want him to like stop rolling his eyes. And like, and he, this part wants to yell at him. And I'm Mm -hmm. like, well, how about if I try? And then a lot of times I used to just look at him and wink, like, hey, we did it. Right. And then I started asking, how did I do? And you just usually get a nod or like, yeah, you did pretty good. And yeah. <laughs> and I find then they just don't blend as quickly because if we think yeah. of these parts as entities in our body, they're real. Some people think they're like kind of metaphoric and they're also stuck in like, I have anger and I have sadness and I have this. But it's really like our parts have a full range of emotions
2: mm-hmm.
1: and cognitive ability. So when they, they, they learn to trust us. Right. And when we go back to them and ask, how do I do? I'm showing respect for you as a person. Mm. Like, am I, am I fulfilling my role as a good leader here? Yeah. Did I do okay? What, what did I miss?
0: Yeah. I really love that because I, I have found that I, I've worked with some people where I think parts of them are kind of like, well, wait a minute. So you're basically telling me that as a part, I am less than and need to be, you know, Maybe out of the space. And, and obviously, like an IFS, that's, that's not the message in which we're getting at. And, and, but as you mentioned just a little bit ago, that is sometimes, I, for sure, like parts of us can feel that way. I think sometimes in those moments of like, well, wait a minute. Well, I'm still, I'm still a part of you. (laughs) Like, I'm still in you, you know? And so I love inviting the, just that check-in question of like, okay, and how did, how did I do? (laughs) Give me your thoughts. Give me your, you know,
2: give me your feedback. And there's this whole other
1: side to it that it's almost like a dichotomy. Like we say, we want self to be in the lead. And we also know we can't function without our parts. Right. So who's talking like I am self-led, but if self is like the orchestra, the um, conductor, the conductor could just be waving its arms there's no music yeah so our parts when they're unburdened when they're like we have this unburdened system that we create as our parts heal they're helping me because i know all this stuff about child development like parts are helping me and they're informing me as i'm speaking and they might be kind of helping me speak we don't really know like at what level can self-talk but but the the parts that are feeling the intensity and the urgency, they typically are still operating in like in a more of a burden system. Like there's, they're protecting us in some way from mm-hmm. burdens. So when I'm speaking from a burden part, that's usually when I cause disruption in my life. Right. And let that part end with me because it's, it's so invested in making sure I'm okay. And I don't, I'm not seen as bad or hiding my shame that it might not be thinking of the other person as much as my unburdened parts
0: oh yeah for sure and in this part of the book where you talk about self-led relationships you mention self-led repair Mm -hmm. and so do you care to share what is a self-led repair
1: yeah so whether it's with in any of these areas of our life once we real, once we step back and look back i might say that self or even a part who's sometimes I'll have critics will say, well, how did you just do in that moment? You were kind of a jerk. Or, you know, I might have parts helping me, but at some point we stop and we say, whoa, that didn't go so well. Like now my wife is hurt. Now my children are hurt. Now my partner is hurt. Now my coworker is hurt. Now I created a disruption in the meeting. So then I uh, self-led repair. I find if I can go inside and find out, well, what was happening for me? What part was leading in that moment? What part was speaking? And I might have enough self-energy to to kind of try to imagine what parts were harmed in this other person, noticing how their protectors might have come forward and shot back at me because I was the instigator of that moment. Like I said something that was hurtful. Mm-hmm. They might have too, but I kind of created this domino effect of hurting their exile and then their protectors lashing out at me. So I feel like then I could take responsibility and simply say, hey, I noticed that when we were talking earlier that I said some very hurtful things. And I think I was blended by a part that was really trying to protect me. And I know that there was an impact on you. Like, even though that's one of my parts, and we know parts aren't bad, you know, depending on how far you go, right. it doesn't matter. There was an impact. Like, I hurt you.
2: Yeah. And
1: and I think self led repair also, a lot of people you know, in that moment, they might be touching on their own shame. Mm -hmm. So they might have defensive parts who lead to say, no, no, you're okay, right? Like, I didn't really hurt you. Mm. Or, you know, the reason why I said that is because you did blank, 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 blank. So this part, part, even though it's an apology or a repair, it's still pointing fingers outwards to kind of cover up my own burden, things like that. So the more self-led it is, the more we pull back from all that. And it's really genuine
2: mm-hmm. just to say,
1: this is what I did. And I know it had an impact on you. And I'd really like to hear how it impacted you. And if there's things you need to say to me, yeah. you know, I want to listen.
0: It makes me think of, uh, I was just able to interview Martha Sweezy about mm-hmm. guilt and shame. And that mm-hmm. was a great conversation that we had in regards to that. And it made, every time I, I hear, I, she was one of my level two trainers along with Dick, which was amazing, wow. but it was, I feel like I could talk to Martha and like listen to her talk about guilt and shame so many times. Cause I feel like I learned something new every time, mm-hmm. <laughs> but what we're talking about now kind of reminds me of what she shares about that, uh, you know, adaptive guilt, which is, you know, let's say we've said something, done something, maybe blended with a part and we have maybe that, awareness what maybe it is a part that is kind of like starting to maybe like shame that behavior of like, Oh my gosh, I can't believe you just did that. That was awful. Or, you know, and then we part starts feeling maybe guilt in regards to the thing, maybe even shame, which can then either lead to, like you said, protector parts getting activated that maybe become even more defensive or, Mm -hmm. you know, having this uh, conscience, Of Oh, I can see where I maybe did a transgression Mm -hmm. and I'm feeling this guilt because, yeah, I was blended with a part and it did lead, I can see to this other person, you know, having their parts being activated and feeling hurt and, oh, okay. So (laughs) I maybe did this transgression, I'm not a bad person and I can now do a repair
2: hmm
0: and that i feel like when we can have that understanding within us
1: mm-hmm. it's like
0: so wonderful what can happen with specifically we're talking about right here in this chapter our relationships mm-hmm. because instead of just getting blended with all these protector parts that are pointing fingers or shutting down you know mm-hmm. it's can we have that that clarity And that compassion for what happened within us in that moment to then be able to, yeah, make that repair with the other person.
1: Mm -hmm. And one, you know, one analogy I came up with a couple of years ago was I think of qualities of self as like dials on a, like on a radio or Mm. an amplifier. So I could turn up creativity. I can turn up courage. Oh, I like that. When you first try these self-led repairs you really have to turn up the courage because it is to our parts like a spotlight on our badness like i did something harmful that takes a lot of not just compassion but a lot of courage oh yeah and i find if you just do it a few times your parts can start it's almost like cognitive behavior therapy for your parts Mm -hmm. they start seeing like the world doesn't shatter when I have enough courage to really do an honest apology and actually good things happen. Yeah. And, and for most people, I think they've learned that for me to admit it, it means I'm shining a light on my badness when why and our parts are designed to not let us do that. We don't mm-hmm. want to see it. So it takes a lot of courage. And when you said pointing fingers, I do use this analogy a couple of times in the book. It's a Jamaican proverb that when you point to somebody, turn your hand over and look how many fingers are pointing back and there's always three. Yeah. And so for me I think about that as I guarantee you if I'm pointing at somebody, whether it's my kids, my coworker, my my partner, I'm probably blended with at least three parts or three parts are activated. Mm. I have the protector who's pointing, I have another protector who's really upset, and I have an exile that these parts are protecting and there's probably more. So for me, it, it, like that whole feeling of pointing, or even mentally or physically, is is like an opportunity to unblend,
2: because mm-hmm. it
1: means I must have enough parts in me that I'm like willing to like say it's your fault. Right. And it might be that the person did something, but the act of pointing, and the act of in that intensity like when we feel urgency to blame others, it's a really good indicator whether it's our kids. Our, Brian. Our, partners, our coworkers, our yeah. coworkers, there's something to check inside.
0: Absolutely. I, I've heard that before. Yeah. There's one finger. If you're pointing a finger this way, then turn it over. <laughs> 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 More fingers pointing to you as yeah. well. I remember hearing that for the first time being like, oh, wow. That, yeah, that <laughs> makes a lot of sense. And even noticing if you feel like you're not able to do the repair, right? Because then mm-hmm. that is speaking, obviously, about the parts of you that are in there being like, no, <laughs> right, that's dangerous.
1: Or self-led right. means I don't do it until I'm ready. Yeah. until it's like the right time.
0: Yeah. And so then you go into being self-led at work, mm-hmm. which I feel like when this one for me in particular, I, I was like, oh yeah, this is an important thing to talk about because you think about a work environment If you're working in a corporation with other people, it is, I mean, it's going to start having family dynamics. Yeah. So there's going to be parts activation. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, Mm -hmm. I'm curious to hear you talk about what is being self-led at work and why is that important? Mm
1: Yeah, yeah. So there's the, there is the relationship aspect for sure. Like, am I in conflict with people? You know, how am I getting along with people? How am I showing up in meetings? You know, so being self-led helps with all that. And a lot of my research in, in education and in organization management is really around like, how do we, how do you get people to want to learn? And how do you get people to want to work, like want to thrive at work and bring their whole self to work and, and to engage and when I through my research and looking at IFS, it's really like the more self energy we have, the more our protectors relax, and actually the more access we have to innovation, to creativity, to engagement. So we're not dissociating, we're not, parts aren't dissociating us, parts aren't like overly mm-hmm. managing us and overworking. Like self, in, when we have self energy, we, we are actually the most engaged in our work. Yeah. So, creating a work environment where if you're self-led and you're helping others, the protectors relax, your bottom line is going to increase because people will do better work. People will want to come to work. People want to engage. And then when you have interpersonal conflicts, we have this beautiful thing about you know checking inside and speaking for our parts, dealing with conflicts. You know, like people say like ideally people are cooperating. Like the more self-energy, the less, you know, some people may say ego, that I have to be the best. That's right. So it really improves so many things um, about the work setting. And, you know, there's this whole issue of when you're at work, somebody has power over you. Like they control you in some ways, Mm -hmm. like what you can do, what you can't do. So that invokes a lot of parts. Oh, yeah. And if I get if I feel threatened by that, my parts are going to make me do just enough to get by just enough to look good to my boss. Maybe they'll be looking for other jobs, Mm
2: -hmm. you
1: know, depending on how I'm treated. So I found even in a place where the boss isn't so great, if I'm with my parts, I could still thrive in this setting and I can tell my parts, you know, we could look for another job, but while we're here, let's do good enough so that when we look for another job, you know, we have a good references. right? <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And I, I look back, you know, I, up until I guess two full years ago. Now I worked in other organizations with other people. Now I work for myself, but you know, looking back there, there are definitely parts of me that like look back and wish, Oh, I wish I knew about IFS mm-hmm. when I was a young therapist working in a group you know practice and uh, you know because I didn't come across IFS until eight years into my career as a therapist and but yeah because it is it's it's just like a family right when you put a group of people but especially in a work environment Mm -hmm. they are bringing their own histories Mm -hmm. their own wounds their own protector parts and then kind of putting them in this environment where it's like, okay, now work together, but also here's the hierarchy Mm -hmm. and here are your responsibilities and
1: supported. Are you getting enough pay? Are you getting enough time off? Your family?
0: Yeah. And, you know, for sure it's going to be this kind of perfect environment set up for you to bring awareness to your parts. Right. And just like going to your families for the holidays, <laughs> it's yeah. like this is a perfect petri dish for right. noticing your parts, yeah. And and it's like, yeah, if we can bring curiosity to, like, oh, I just said this in a meeting. Who said that within
1: me? Parts and people coming forth based on what I just said. Right. One of my clients calls it a, a parts food fight. <laughs> <laughs> like like you say something and then somebody else is throwing stuff and oh yeah crazy you could witness that in the work setting you know when i first learned about ifs i, I think i tell this story in the book i you know as a, i took some psychology and sociology so i was really in, in college and i was really interested in like social kind of experiments like how do we live together and how do we work together and, like mm-hmm. i'm always like metacognating, like thinking about what's happening while it's happening And I thought, oh, let me just try this speaking for parts thing. And like, I noticed in a meeting when I would just say, you know what? I don't really agree with that. I think we should do this. It would often create an argument or people would, even if the boss says, yeah, if I like Seth's idea there would be people who are like scouring like, oh, Seth is, he's whatever. But if I said, you know what? I really hear what you're saying. Like, it makes sense if we do X, Y, and Z. And so, in a part of me totally agrees with that. And I have this other part of me that wonders, what if we tried this? And they never knew IFS, but I used that word part.
2: Mm-hmm. And
1: almost all the time, people would go, oh, yeah, let's talk about that. And they would actually get engaged and excited to yeah. even explore it. Maybe it, we didn't do it, but at least it was heard and it was tossed around as an idea that might have been legitimate. Where in the past, it would have been defensive that's right. It. so just by using those words like i acknowledge like we might say to our kids or to our partner like a part of me totally understands what you're saying mm-hmm. i try to get rid of the word but because that erases what you just said exactly and i have this other part that's thinking this like what do you think of that and people just yeah. And to relax. and
0: Oh, I mean, and you could, I could feel that in my body just naturally as you were giving that example, As you know, because in that first example of, you know, someone sharing something in a meeting and then you saying like, well, I don't agree with, you know, that has this like, oh, type of energy. But when you're like, oh yeah, a part of me really sees where you're coming from and I get that. And there's another part of me because I feel, yeah, totally. I mean, I feel like when we can really come to understand what that means Mm
2: -hmm.
0: and that acknowledgement of, yeah, there is a part of me and that gets that what they're saying. And there's this other part of me too. I feel like that's such a nonviolent way.
2: Mm -hmm.
0: It's nonviolent communication, right? To just be able to be like, I see, I see what you're saying. And I'm also seeing this over here. And it kind of has this, this open, energy as opposed to like closed off of well you're wrong and i'm right
1: right and when on that late on the ladder there it's almost like saying you're bad like i'm pointing out your badness and i'm better than you right i mean that's what i think what people feel underneath when we, yeah
0: yeah totally i think about you know i'm really grateful for one of the uh, directors that i worked for at the counseling center that I worked at the university, she would invite us at the start of meetings to go around and share. We didn't use parts language, but it was kind of like a sharing of parts Mm -hmm. and people didn't have to share if they didn't want to, they could just say polite pass, you know, Uh, but it was an opportunity, like an open opportunity for people to share. Now, looking back, it was totally, it was like, we were speaking for parts of ourselves.
1: Like what am I coming with today? Yes. Mm -hmm. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah our parts feeling tired, our parts feeling Uh distracted by life stuff today, Uh or, but you Uh know, it could be whatever. And that was really, yeah, I just have really fun memories and gratitude Uh for that invitation from a leader. And, and she would always start, she would be like, I'm inviting this. And again, you don't have to. And she's like, and I'm going to start. And, Uh and it was really beautiful.
1: That's very good. And like you mentioned, so there is a leadership, aspect of the book and that was my specialty in my when i did my phd program and i think w- the thing that stuck out to me the most was chris argyris Ar- argyris argyris a-r-g-y-r-i-s and harvard like in the 60s came up with this whole model of like how the leaders can get stuck in these defensive routines like i have to be the one that knows everything yeah and they literally block people sharing their thoughts and ideas because if you share your thoughts and ideas that means I don't know almost unconsciously oftentimes so organizations espouse all these beliefs around we're so open and we're like we listen to our staff but then when you go in is it does it match those espouse beliefs and oftentimes what will block what they espouse like what's the what's the reality in organization is defensive leadership mm when they're not really open to ideas. And mostly because from a parts perspective, that would mean I'm less than if my staff knew more than me. Yeah. And so I've always been interested, like, how do we help leaders? Like for me, it's a sign of strength of a leader to say, tell me what's happening on the ground. What are you seeing? What are you seeing? (laughs) What are you bringing? What did you learn in school? What did you find out from your research? And then I can actually make informed decisions based on all this reality and based on a, an, like a diversity of ideas and thoughts. Whereas most of the time, leaders will come to the meeting already with an idea, and they're trying to convince the group to go buy into their idea. And the people know, so they're just nodding their heads because they know there's going to be ramifications if I say something in contrary to what you're feeling, because... The defensive routine of the leader mm. will then smash yeah. anything down in some way. So, yeah. for me, if a leader could be self led, it actually improves again the bottom line of the organization because the organization will thrive and be more adaptive to the environment because Absolutely. the ideas will forth and you create a climate of safety which allows people's parts to relax. Mm-hmm. Like my research. Like a lot of articles I read talked about climates of safety, a climate of voice or a climate of silence. And it's all around safety or not safety. Why are people quiet? Because it's not safe. Yeah. Why are people speaking up? Because it's safe.
0: Yeah. And it makes me think of, I just had the image in my mind of um, when I've had conversations with people who do parts work in um, like executive coaching and like, yeah, like leadership coaching settings and kind of that image of, again, like we can use with like a boardroom. And noticing like even like as self, but also using this kind of literally with a literal boardroom like at a, a place of work here's self you know maybe standing at the at the front of the room and there's an idea being presented of like, hey everyone, like what if we start a podcast
1: mm-hmm. and. <laughs>
0: Or maybe a part saying that, I don't know. And then yeah. there's parts at the table that are like all for it. And they're like, yes, right. but then there's like parts in the back that have like their arms crossed, like in the shadows that are like, mm. not like have some concerns right. or ideas about that in general. Mm. But if the environment isn't being like you're saying, like open to, let me hear from everyone. There is no right or wrong thing. Like it's safe here then that can really enrich the experience of, let's say creating a podcast (laughs) as opposed to maybe not creating that safe environment and that safe container being with self energy to then be like, Oh, well, I'm just going to ignore, which is coming from parts, right? Like I'm just going to ignore those other ones in the back Mm -hmm. and, and I get a bad vibe from them. So I'm not gonna.
1: Right. They're always naysayers. and
0: Right. They're always so negative, you know, I know they're always going to have something to say against it. So I'm just not going to open it up for fear that what could happen. And I feel like we see that for sure mirrored in real life in work environments, like you're saying, where maybe the leader themselves has parts that are scared.
1: We listen to people who agree with us because it says I'm good. and I'm a good person. I'm worthy. Like I'm I'm hiding. I'm not going to touch into my unworthiness. But these people who are quiet in the back with their arms folded, they probably hold some truth that if we heard their truth, it might avoid what happened three months later when our organization fell apart and we went out of business. Right. <laughs> <You know>? Yeah,
0: <laughs> Yeah. exactly. Yeah. Uh, and then you go into self-led parenting.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And I know we've kind of touched on this one you know, throughout our conversation already, but I guess a question I have is, like, what are the impacts Mm. if you're a parent, you have a kid, and you are not being self-led? What are the impacts with that?
1: Yeah. Well, for one thing, I guess the premise of self-led parenting is, one, obviously we are making choices and choosing how to respond, which oftentimes is less shaming in our parenting. So oftentimes we're helping children be better. Like we think, oh, our job is to get you from A to B as a parent, right? I'm going to help you become this person. But we're helping them become this vision of a person that we have in our head and so we're often saying, oh, don't, you know, don't do that. You should be more like this. Oh, you know, it would be more helpful if you do this. And you should do this and you should do this. Oh, honey, you know, if you only did this, like, even if you're saying it with sweet words, and we know parents can be, you know, full throttle, shaming and blaming and violent. But regardless if it's subtle like that, all of this correction is telling a child, you're not worthy. You're really not lovable as you are. So if most of the time when we are self-led, we kind of observe our children and kind of be curious about their ways of doing things and might give them more space to try things out. And how do I, I mean, obviously we need to have our limits and our rules and our routines to get out the door at a certain time to make sure we're at school on time and all that is important. Without those limits, children really don't thrive. But to do it in a way where we're curious about how they want to be in the world, Creates a, a climate of safety where their protectors can relax. And then their natural qualities that you mentioned at the beginning, how they thrive as a human, like how they want to be in the world and their natural self, is allowed to come forward. And they tend to thrive and they tend to be cooperative. They tend to be helpful because that's self energy allows for that. Yeah. So if, we, if we're not self led and we are leading from. Usually parenting parts tend, like if we're sweet and we're developmentally appropriate, I'm not talking about abusive parenting right now, but we have this agenda that we, like our job is to manage these children so they become like ready for the world and within our vision that we're often creating protectors Mm. and exiles because like you're not worthy of this. Like when you, like Elphicon, K O H N it talked about unconditional parenting where he basically says, we want our children to be these innovators and creators and to like not follow the sheep. But when we parent them, we oftentimes get upset when they don't do what we want. So right. we get angry. We pull away. The message is, is you have to follow my rules to be loved. Mm. So when you're self-led, the children are still getting the love and holding And you might, you know, if they do something that's harmful, you might share you could share to them, like you can set a limit with love. You can say that's not appropriate. Yeah. You can say when you said that it, you know, I can tell it hurt your brother, your sister, I can tell it hurt your friend. You know, when you or when you don't do your homework, there's consequences at school. You know, your grades will go down. I wanna how can I support you? Like the message is still there. We're gonna do you're gonna do your homework. Right. But Oftentimes, when our protectors are leading, it's really creating a lot of shame.
0: I'm really grateful for how you just worded that. That it, when we're not leading from self with our parenting, then that's where shaming. I feel like that big word
1: shame uh-huh. is. And it's often I call it micro shaming when it's when mm-hmm. it's obvious. But you know, honey, it'd be really better if you would, or like, you know, I I really next time I really want you to. And this happens all the time, like constant managing. Yeah. And we think it's our job. And why do we do that? Because in my opinion, my own parts is because our parts know that if we fail at this, we're going to look bad. Like Mm. I'm a bad parent if my kids don't succeed. So I'm kind of like this. I'm parenting for me, not for you. Right. Our parts are invested in us. Yeah. They want us to be okay. So if you can thrive, I'll be okay. And I'll look like I succeeded at this job.
0: Yeah. Yeah.
1: And, I, and then we teach our parts. Like if you let me handle this more, I'll get you that like exponentially. Like if I can help our children feel heard and feel safe and feel listened to and feel like they can bring their whole self to me and tell me even what I'm doing wrong for them. And they know they're not going to get a bad reaction. Like I'm going to be mm-hmm. curious and hear you and say, oh, like it might, I'm in a divorce, right? And so my daughter one day told me, dad, like, I know you and mom don't really fight, but you don't really talk a lot. And I have to be the mediator going back and forth. And that's really harmful for me. And I never considered that. I was like, wow, that's really helpful for me. And I started to, to be more communicative. I started to do less of the things that she tells me. So then our parts get what they want. Our children end up thriving. Because then they're more engaged in school. Because they're they're more self led. There's more create. There's more even brain availability for innovative and creativity instead of being in fight or flight, which was probably more of our protectors. Right? Like I'm just trying right. to get by. Just trying to not get caught.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: I just want to get through this. Yeah,
0: and you also mention in the self led parenting part the importance of or at least how to get to know or be aware of like your children's part and their right. parts. Right? right. And being able to, of course it's important to know what's getting activated within us. Mm. You know, that helps us of course, like we've been talking about with that's, you know, self-led. And then with our children, it's getting curious too, about like, Oh, so this, mm-hmm. the way they're behaving right now might be coming from a part of them that, You know, the example that came to my mind when I was reading that part was like, right now, like, bedtime for us and our four year old is difficult.
2: Uh And
0: I can see it's like, once he realizes, oh no, it's bedtime, he'll start crying. And then he'll get this other part got activated that's like, we're going to play instead. Uh (laughs) And. And it's just like, oh, what is going on? And then that's activating parts within me and my husband that are like, oh my gosh, like, please just like get in bed. But it is interesting because if like I take a moment or time to pause and like get curious about like, okay, what's parts are getting activated within my son?
2: Mm-hmm.
0: I feel like, again, like that helps access curiosity yeah. and then like compassion mm-hmm. to better understanding. What his experience is,
1: yes, of bedtime. Wonderful, yes. And then, how does he respond when you're in that space? There's a calming energy, right? Because if get what they want, then he's then he's more likely to go to bed,
0: right? (laughs) But (laughs) but believe me, you know, there. Just last night, just last night, there, like a moment where this part within right. me that just came out, that was just like, ah! <laughs> you know, and then, but it didn't, it didn't lead to him then changing that behavior.
2: Right. It just right. kept
0: going. And then it's like, in that moment, I was, I'm grateful that like, I was able to like recognize what had just happened within me. And then, yeah, I felt like I was able to have some space and then, you know, go towards him with that, that softening. And, and he went to bed. <laughs>
1: Yeah. He went and, to bed. And, you know, I'm so grateful. Michelle Glass was one of my readers, and she pointed out that I didn't really acknowledge how hard parenting is in my chapter. I made it sound like, oh, if you just do this, it'll be easy. And in some ways, that's true. But I then I had to realize, you know, it's true. Like, this is not easy. Like, parenting is hard because our children and our, and our partners push all of our parts buttons. Yeah. They're so close to our heart that they it just activates our parts and parenting is really challenging. And like being with our parts in these moments takes a lot of cognitive energy and physical energy to pause and to do this work because our parts just want to go relax. They want to be done for the night. They wanna... yeah. So it, it, it's not easy. And it, it it the payoff is so great for the parts who want to rest that
2: it mm. does work.
1: And it just sounds like you really got it. And, and I, so, w- one thing I could say is like getting to know our kids' parts is to one just to hold the belief that we know if a child is acting out quotation marks that it has to be a part because self wouldn't do that. So
2: mm-hmm. it's good just
1: to hold that. So if a part if a child is like screaming, being defiant, ignoring, I get to say to myself, "Oh, this has to be a part." maybe the cognitive yeah. part of me says that. And then I'm like, okay, that means I need to go inside and like create some spaciousness and curiosity. Right. And one thing I have done is I do offer a meditation in the book where you, know, you think of a conflict you've had with your child, like say that bedtime situation. And then you kind of get to know your own parts around it. But then imagine your child in front of you and invite their part to show you or tell you what it was feeling. Like, why did you have to yell at me that way? Like, can you tell me how you were protecting you, like your son? Yeah. And the I find the protector will kind of tell us, or you can even imagine like it had to protect. Why? Because you know, like for me, it was really life changing because my when I did this for my son one time, like I was feeling it, but kind of a hard week we were having together, and I realized I was being really critical, and his protector was showing me it had to block me like roll his eyes and shut the door and stay away from me and i asked well what would happen if you didn't do this job and it showed this little one behind this little exile who just wanted to be loved and accepted Mm -hmm. and every time i was saying you need to do it differently you gotta do it better like like we can't just like do this during dinner time or whatever it was i was telling this little one you're not lovable Mm -hmm. So his, like his teenage protector had to slam me back because otherwise he would feel those emotions of the little one. And when I saw that, that's when I came up with this really realization of how much shaming I was doing and even the micro shaming. And from that moment on, something shifted. And it's almost like I was like, I would look at him and see that little one inside who needs love. And I would say, I'm going to spend some time just for you. Mm. and i would just sit down and and just like consciously not do any correcting i think i chose to do it for like two weeks zero correcting zero just like hey i'm curious tell me more about you what are you doing oh you just want to like roll over and be on your phone do you want me to sit with you in your room and be on my phone too or do you want me to go out like what's better for you you could stay like and then you just like roll over and (laughs) so he wanted me that little one like wanted me there and like something that started blossoming in him and he then he really started like showing me his most precious like mm. aspects of self energy that I didn't get to see when I was being critical. I love that.
0: And thank you for sharing that. Because again, it's like an example of, you know, we have these, I feel like these parenting manager parts that have a positive intention. And at the same time, it's, it's like when we can bring awareness to the impact that that micro shaming is having. And we can see our kids in this way of this multidimensional parts. And yeah, yeah, it just, it helps make that shift to a Mm self-led parenting space. So that's really beautiful. And so now we're at the last one, self-led spirituality. Mm -hmm. And yeah, I'm curious to hear, I don't really, I feel like I have like so many questions about this one, but I kind of just want to like, hear from you just kind of openly like when you wrote this part self-led spirituality I guess what is it that you want people to know about that
1: well I think the first thing for me is and this is just my assumption I can't say what other people want but I imagine when people engage in spirituality whether it's in religion or other types of spiritual practice like there's some kind of yearning for being connected with something larger than us. And mm-hmm. IFS, sometimes we'll say there's a larger self, just like a collective self, that might be even a different level than what you might say God is, or however you conceive that, or the universe. And I think when we tap into self-energy and when we're asking our parts to give us enough space, so there's more and more of self, like the path meditation, where you ask your parts to, to just hang for a minute, you actually touch those things that we desire is to feel a connection with something larger than us. And I feel like once we're in that space, I personally have experienced, then you are able to hear guidance and messages. Mm. Like one time I realized I was, when I used to pray, I would be asking for things like, can I have help for me Can my family? Could you please take care of this person? Could you help me with my job? And all of a sudden I go, wait a minute, who's praying?
2: Mm.
1: And I realized that was a part because self didn't need to ask for all that. Self wasn't desperate. Self wasn't scared because self doesn't have fear. So it wasn't needing this help. And then I, when I asked that part to step back, it was like, Nidus was like, huh, what do you want to offer me? Like, what, what do you want me to know? Mm. And then I would start hearing things and like messages around. It would still help me in my daily life, but it wasn't it was like a whole different experience. And I feel, I kind of feel like through the larger self and with IFS and spirituality, like self, we are self for our parts. And when we connect with something larger through like really being in the ocean of self energy, we realize like, wow, it's kind of like there's this larger self or God and I'm kind of like a part. And there's this like larger self that holds me that can connect with me. And then that gives me enough energy because then I have I have self energy in me which I think is connected to this universal energy or God's mm-hmm. energy, and then I can offer that to my parts and my parts then also have their own little self energy. Yeah. In parts, parts, and it keeps, It's almost like this nesting. And I feel like there's so much of IFS process that's so spiritual around art, like the the unburdening process. You know, really taps into a lot of energy work. and taps into like shamanism. Not intentionally, like I don't think Dick was, not like, he was a scientist when he came up with this stuff. I mean, other people helped like Mitchie Rose and others but it was through observation that people would show every time they unburdened, these things would happen. Like if you just ask somebody, how do you want to let it go? You don't have to say do you want to use fire, earth, or wind, or water. People will say, I want to throw it in the fire. I want to yeah. throw it in the wind. I want to give it to the light.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, just natural draw to these elements that we are made of.
1: Right. And like, you know, all these images of religious figures with halos and this Mm -hmm. light, like I see that as self energy, you know, we all have this light that's in us.
0: Yeah. I love what you said to the question of who's praying. Mm -hmm. I think that's really a powerful question. And I've never thought about it like that. Uh, But it makes sense. It's like, if I'm praying, or asking for something to a higher being spiritual, you know, entity, it's like, okay, can I bring awareness to what part of me maybe is, is asking for this, and to just then have a relationship, better connection with that part of me. And I like also that kind of realization, too, of like, we are maybe like these parts (laughs) within this bigger cosmos. And, There is this self that is out there, you know, Mm -hmm. for us as well. And if we can have that understanding and open ourselves up to, like you said, the messages that Mm -hmm. maybe we're meant to receive or download in a particular moment Mm -hmm. in time in our life, then we can be open to that, to receiving that.
1: Right. I think before IFS, I always felt like, you know, and I don't, I think spirituality is so much bigger than whether or not you believe in god or not but right. i do i do have a like i feel like i have a personal relationship with god just for my upbringing i don't consider myself a very religious person but but i used to always feel like a god's presence around judging whether or not i'm doing good or bad like i would feel like oh like if i do this in this higher being's eyes i would be seen as a bad person which also if you think about that is like there's fear. Like what will happen to me if I'm right. seen this way? And once I separated from that part, not only did I feel like wow, there's this whole other connection. I felt held by this energy, by God. Like I, like the message is like I accept you. Like, the, mm-hmm. actually, what I actually heard was you don't have to seek others' approval. You have mine.
2: Mm-hmm. And I
1: think my parts needed to hear that because I think I would. I had parts that would always look outside. Wanting people like, you know, to, just because my upbringing, I didn't have enough connection and attachment that I still have parts that look outward for, for to know, am I good enough? Yeah. And to hear that means, it's almost like, wow, the world is so much safer because I'm always held by this thing. Right. Even if there's a human who disapproves of me, I'm held. Like, almost like saying, if there's a part, and I say I'm the... The little exile and there's a critic saying why are you so like this mm-hmm. at least i can say as the exile well there's this larger self who loves me and is holding me so i'm gonna hold on to that and i think us as self we can say there's this larger thing there's this larger self energy even like if you don't believe in god we do believe there's like a collective energy of self that is holding yeah. us all and we're like this little streams of that that I look at like self energy like water like the water in me is the same in you
2: mm. the self
1: energy I have is the same as you same as Dick same as the the most wonderful spiritual leaders on the planet yeah. and it's all the same and if you like touch a river you're literally touching an ocean because that river somewhere down the line touches a, an ocean somewhere yeah or lake underground water and eventually trickles somewhere so I think as we touch our self energy we're touching all of it.
0: Mm. That's so powerful. And I really, I really resonate with that. And thank you for sharing that.
1: Yeah. So it just makes me feel good, like safe in the world.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Oh, I love that. That's great. So, you know, I want to ask you this last question. After you wrote the book and let's say you read it again, maybe. What is something you learned after reading your own book? that maybe you didn't know, maybe consciously when you wrote it, but when you read it, you're like, oh, oh, okay. Right. Was there anything that stood out to
1: you? Well, the first thing that came to mind was like, not it doesn't answer your question directly, but the first thing that came was like, wow, I didn't know I could actually do this. Like I didn't know I could create mm-hmm. this. Like parts of me thought I would never do it. So, and then I like to call my past, like self, like self, like Seth, like past Seth. Like, wow, past set did that. You know, like what I did yesterday, that's past set. And I might set something here for tomorrow for future set to see. But um, so there's that. And I feel like when I wrote the book, I was very conscious to always like do an unblending exercise to be in as much self-energy as I could. So I think like any of us, when we're in that state, we tap into some wisdom. So as I read the book, I'm reminded of all these things that were downloaded to me and I can't think of any one particular thing, but a lot of times I, like, it, o- it almost like brings in, I do have a part that's like, it wouldn't let me finish certain chapters until I did enough for internal work and work with my parts. Yeah. Like the part will say, are you living up to this? Seth? Like, you, right. you, what wrote, Like, are you living up to it? <laughs> so for me, it's a little bit of a a litmus test. Like, Oh, are you parenting this way? Are you in relationships this way? Right. Um, So I can't think of any one particular thing, but it's, it's, it is like a little self check. Like, you know, you're not just because you wrote the book doesn't mean you're done. You need to like, right. Otherwise, it's totally like you don't have integrity.
0: Yeah. And I like what you said too about, you know, after you wrote it and looking back at it, like realizing, wow, like we did this. I did this (laughs) past Seth and these past. Seth's within me, like like we did this, like look what we did, and like right. that's that's beautiful to yeah. to have that experience of just having admiration and and praise for yourself, and yeah. that, yeah, you created this beautiful gift,
1: yeah, thank you so much well,
0: thank Thanks. you, you know, Seth, for spending this time talking through your book. This has been a lot of fun. And yeah, yeah, I feel like, yeah, I could just keep talking about all these different dimensions of these things. Yeah. For
1: hours. And like people keep telling me it's amazing how short and easy going this book is. Like it's like really, it's not like a long book. Like you would think we probably talked longer than it would take somebody to read the book. Right. <laughs> but I've always been really interested in like short poetry and short things to, that pack a lot of meaning. And right. I think maybe that's also like my lens of writing is how do you make it short and sweet and simple paint a picture so that people can really get it, but not go on. on. No,
0: I, I appreciate that too. I, I really appreciate that, that short and sweetness, you know, way of presenting information as well. Cause Mm. if something is too long, then again, that's where I think parts of me are kind of just like lost. Or lose interest. So, yeah, Yeah. I appreciated your, the way in which, yeah, you presented this, this information. So thank you. And so before we end, you know, I want to welcome you to share with the listeners, anything you'd like them to know about working with you, your services, offerings.
1: Yeah. Well, I am a IFS practitioner. I do work with individuals and couples. A lot of times people come to me for parenting so I do that, you know, when you can find me on my website, Sethkopal.com, S E T H K O P A L D. Um, I am slotted to do a retreat for um Soleology, which is a, a place where they have um retreats in Ireland and Malta. And a lot of like the big lead trainers are, are there. Nice. And I was like so honored that they reached out to me, but they wanted specifically around self-led parenting. Oh, cool. It's supposed to be sometime in 2025. So if you go to their, their website, you can check that out. And I would like to, because I do have a degree in teaching and I do, I've done some work, like week long workshops that I really, really like to start ramping those up. So if people just go to my website as I develop things, you know, I'd love to have people Perfect. join. Them. I might do some virtual, some in-person. Yeah. Thinking about other books. I want to write some children's books to help kids learn about parts and about self. That's great. Yeah.
0: Okay. Wonderful. Yeah. So I'll put those links in the show notes for people to have that information. And And I just
1: started a new Instagram, um, self-led underscore by Seth, by underscore Seth. And there's only like three or four, like my kids are following me right now. So if people want to join, it'll make (laughs) it. (laughs) it So everyone,
0: yes. Follow (laughs) at self-led underscore by underscore Seth.
1: (laughs) (laughs) And we'll put
0: that in the show notes too. So not
1: just me and my kids. Yeah. Yeah.
0: (laughs) Well, thank you so much. This was so great.
1: You're welcome. Thank you for having me.
0: Thank you all so much for joining me today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast, give it a rating and leave a review. You can also follow me on Instagram at Natalie Deering and sign up for my newsletter on my website. NDwellnessServices.com to receive updates about podcast episodes, workshops, and more.